0: Hello and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. What did you sell your first bottle of wine for? uh
1: well i was working for i mean i've worked for a lot of different people and so it was their wine but you're uh, talking about here
0: no actually no. um was was richard summer the, the first place that you worked or yes uh, yes
1: uh, it was yeah um that was 1986
0: 1986 mm-hmm. and do you remember what the uh what 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 it was and, and what the cost was
1: oh no. uh, well he made so many different wines um he was making Riesling, Zinfandel, Merlot, Pinot Noir, Cabernet, uh, a little funny wine called Mellow Red. Um, yeah. You remember <laughs> Mellow Red? Yeah. Um, uh, you know his. The pricing back then was, you know, the Riesling might have been five or six bucks a bottle. Yeah. And um, the Pinot Noir, maybe it was twelve. It was, you know, the price has changed a lot uh, since then. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> well, you know, farming costs
0: <laughs> and inflation and, and and everything. Right. Yeah, yeah everything. Yeah, even like a cost of packaging. The packaging. Yeah, yeah, all your
1: packaging, the farming costs, uh, your electricity, uh, propane, your, your the help, workman's comp. Uh, liability insurance, yeah. uh, you name it.
0: Yeah. So, what did you sell? Like, you um, had started your own um, winery. What did you sell your first bottle for?
1: I think, man, you're really pushing the old <laughs> buttons, aren't you? Uh, I, I, I
0: wouldn't be able to. I
1: think we were, I think. Uh, might have been 15. 15? 15. 15 what, what or 20. That? that was 2000. 2000. Yeah, and I think we sold the organ for like 15. But I can ask Jim and call you back on that because he'll, I mean, I can look that up oh, actually.
0: You know, I'm just, you know, it's like what I want to do is like I'm asking all of my that. And it, I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of chart it. Uh huh. You know, uh-huh. Uh huh. Right. You know, today right, to kind of see. Right. Uh, so so patty can you give me like maybe like a, a two minute hist- history of what brought you into the wine industry and you know like and then what happened after you got hooked
1: actually i was a home winemaker for many ah. years yeah uh-huh. i i i made wine in high school in high of, school in, uh, outside of chicago from concentrates and then when i you know two minute long story short uh, ended up in Oregon in 1972 where I started doing fruit and berry wine again and as a home winemaker
0: so so you moved from Chicago to to Oregon
1: or? no there was a, there was a lo- it was a long excursion was it yes yeah
0: and I'm kind of curious in high school you're making wine yes <laughs> I mean, not many high school kids are making wine. They're drinking wine, but they're not making it. Oh,
1: I had a chemistry set. I had all, you know, I had all kinds of stuff. I was always kind of fascinated with. What? What was the attraction? Um, you know, I used to drink wine with my family. Uh-huh. And they would let me have a little glass of wine with dinner and stuff. And um, and I, I. Uh, you know, I was making booze in high school, basically.
0: So you had a lot of friends then.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a little secret place where I did it.
0: <laughs> Under the bed? Or no, no,
1: it was, in, it was in an... We lived in this old house that had old coal bins, you know, and and so I... I would blow it up in there.
0: <laughs> and I have to ask, you know, and you can take the Fifth Amendment on this one. Did your parents know about it? Oh, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> of course they <I> didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you started in high school.
1: Pretty much, yeah.
0: And then you continued, and then you moved to Oregon. Right. So how did you hook up with Richard?
1: Um, I had... Um, uh, a reforestation company that um, where we planted trees, climbed did cone collection, and I did that for i don 't know about ten years or so and I was getting tired of it and I um, had a friend that was managing Hillcrest and uh, she said she said you should you should come out and check it out who was who that uh, uh, Donna souza postals Postles, yeah.
0: mm-hmm
1: S-O-U-Z-A P-O-S-T-L-E-S and she was managing Hillcrest at the time and we were we were neighbors and she um, uh, she kept bugging me you should come out, I made a lot of money working in the woods and going to uh, um, you know making a Minimum wage out there was like not that appealing, but finally she talked me into it, and I went out and actually in 1986 picked grapes, and Uh so I was a picker. In 1986. Right, and then I got my eye on the inside of the winery, and uh, I uh, I went to her and I said, I want to work in the winery. Let me in there. And she said, you're too small. And I said, I just climbed several mountains planting trees. I think I can handle this. (laughs) And so I talked her into it. And so I went into the winery in 1987. And um, she, at the end of 1987, she fired the winemaker and hired me as the winemaker. And uh, in 1988... uh, was truly the, the, the I did a little bit of wine in 1987 but in 88 then I became the winemaker and my first true vintage I did 20,000 cases 20,000 <laughs> yes cases? I, I didn't know okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: was there that where would you get all the fruit it
1: came all off the estate of Hillcrest
0: boy um, I guess I have to. Look. It's been a while since I've talked with Richard. Um, I didn't know that he had that much fruit. Well,
1: he was—he overcropped a little bit too, you know. So he he hung so a he lot was, of he hung a lot of fruit on the vines.
0: Uh huh. But we so were getting twenty tons per acres. We, well, <laughs> I acres. I don't remember.
1: I don't quite remember what it was. But yeah, we got there was a lot of fruit coming in the door. Wow. Yeah,
0: I didn't know. You know. And so what what qualified you to be a winemaker besides your high school experience?
1: Um, I think my aptitude for it and the fact that I could work on the equipment and fix things. And um, I was pretty organized. And um, uh, not to say that all the wine was that good, (laughs) admittedly. Um, But, um, you know, she just saw that and she had she had, had some problems with previous wine with the previous winemaker, and and I was taking care of business, and so she you know trusted me to, to do it. Yeah. I, but so. Richard, Richard and I had a very very good relationship, and because in um, in January of 1989 he fired everyone except me. So I was there with him by myself, <laughs> and uh, um, and we we continued to stay friends and everything. And when uh, kind of go fast forwarding, um, when he was trying to sell the winery and he got totally ripped off by these people, he uh, his nephew and him came up here and brought all these different wines for me to taste and see what what he should do Uh and that's how bonding our relationship was that he would come all the way here and trust me yeah
0: he's a he's a i really like him i spent a day and a half with uh with him and one of the things that amazed me about him was that oh we went out to melrose for a harvest yeah and the field guys
1: Oh, they loved him. They loved him. I mean, yeah. I couldn't
0: believe it. It's like, you yeah. know, like, they, they just... Sorry. I, I understand. It's like he's a neat guy. I really yeah. like him a lot. Do you want another jacket or anything? Is no, I'm fine. I have, have been on been. silk long underwear. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, he... Uh, that was really hard. I bad. Because the wine was terrible. It was awful. I mean, he had, he had Pinot Noir... Are my eyes turning black now? No, not yet. Okay, not yet. (laughs) Um, He had pinot noir in a in a tank for over two years. In a stainless. Yeah, in a stainless tank for over two years, and it was hideous. And it was really, I had to tell him, I go, Richard, you know, you can't. I'm going to get a tissue. Oh, oh, right, right. I'll go with you. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, I said, Richard, you can't sell this wine. And, and I, you know, you, it's, it, it was really difficult. Not bad. And he's like, so what I did because I knew what I was going to be up against with him is um, I, I brought him into the cellar and had him ta- yeah and had him taste my wines uh-huh. first. And uh, And he's like, Yeah, bottle it, bottle it, because it was, you know, it was good. And I wanted him to have perspective of what's going on in the real wine world and what he was doing with all these wines. And we went up to the house, and I tasted these wines, and they were just... They were just hideous, they were so bad and his and his nephew didn't know anything about wine, and he tasted these wines. he goes, "Is this what it's supposed to taste like?" And I said, "Yeah, pretty much, you know." And so they went back, they went back, and then that's when Dyson came into the into the picture, and um, of course, Richard fought it because he didn't want to leave and but he couldn't... He was, you know, he's gone bankrupt, and, uh, you know, it was, it was just all became very, very complicated, and finally he caved in and, and sold it to Dyson, but on, on just a funny note, um, so Richard would come out to the winery now that Dyson owned it.
0: Out to your winery? No, out to, in, to Hillcrest, uh-huh. out
1: to Hillcrest, and he'd, he'd pull up his station wagon... And he'd just start loading stuff into the station wagon. (laughs) He'd go up into the lab and he'd take stuff. And Dyson wasn't really paying much attention to him. And finally he realized that Richard was just taking stuff (laughs) that he just bought. You know, he just bought the whole facility as a turnkey. And he's like, Richard, you know, Yeah, But, you know, and, and I was like, no, Richard, you just can't take stuff. And, which is, I think, a hilarious story because it's so it's so Richard, you know.
0: Yeah, I can just picture him doing
1: that. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. just really kind of quiet about it and just going in and just went, backed up the station wagon to just started <laughs> loading stuff in. Oh, it, was, it was a great story.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, I saw him... I don't know, it was maybe I signed about a year ago. But he's doing well and he's I think he's much better off and um, he's always been incredibly frugal. So I mean whatever money that he he has is gonna last him more than his lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so and he's still really active. Very active in the in he still hikes a lot and you know, I told him, I said, Richard, you should you should Stick to the woods because that's that's where you're needed.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah he's very active in uh, oh, like some Sierra Club. Like right, right, Club, yeah. right,
1: right. Yeah. So yeah, he's 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 a character.
0: I guess um, when I was out there, I uh, I took him out to Hillcrest, uh-huh. a photograph of he and Dyson together. Oh, that's good. And they had actually like a real nice conversation and it seemed like you know everything was good and oh yeah even afterwards Dyson said oh I really appreciated just kind of talking with him and kind of getting his right right." apparently they hadn't really talked a lot
1: right well it, Richard he you know it was really hard for him I mean he had that place in 62 I think or 60 or
0: 61 I think yes, yeah I think it was 60,
1: 61 or 62 yeah. and so that was his whole life and um, you know,
0: yeah, it'd be interesting, it's like I recorded like their conversation. Oh, that's great. Like that. Yeah. Great. So, um, it will be interesting, like when I get that transcribed, right, you to right. Or, you know, to listen to. Right. Yeah.
1: He, he, um, he's great. Yeah.
0: So, so then, um, so how, what happened that, like you, you worked for Richard, you had a, a 20,000 cases of wine in your first year, which is, I
1: mean, that's a... I was so naive that it was just doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and I had fundamentals that I was working on, and, um, uh, you know, it was, and I was, I think I was 32, so... And I just finished working in the woods, so I was really super fit. I could work a zillion hours, and yeah. um, uh, I had an assistant at the time, and Who we just that? went. God, what was her name?
0: She was from the area down there. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: What was her name? I, I don't. Uh, I'll have to think about that one. She only worked a, a year or
0: so for me. It'll come to you. I'd probably, probably tonight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> don't count on it now, yeah, okay. right?
0: Yeah, don't count on it now.
1: But I'll anyway, the
0: recorder here. The oh, computer. okay,
1: okay. So, um, so it was. It was just a little too weird. Um, just Richard and I, and uh, and he hired. Then he hired these like kind of. Low life guys, and I, I didn't really particularly want to hang out. There. I mean, they were—they were alcoholics, and—and and he got them really cheap, and—and and I was like, okay, I think it's time for me to go. So, um, as I—oh, I did the '89 harvest there, uh-huh. so I, le- I left in 1990 then I left in, in 90 and that fall I uh, let's see okay
0: <laughs> oh okay okay.
1: so in, in the meantime Donna um, uh, the business manager yes she decides that she's going to buy this other winery in, in Roseburg uh huh and asked me if I want to come and help fire it up. Huh. So I start yeah, working. What winery is that? It was Lagarza Garza Cellars now, but it was called... <laughs> <laughs> that later too uh, but it was La Garza Sellers okay. is what she she and so she wanted she wanted me to come and help her fire it up because she knew I could do it and um, so I started working with that on her but it was only on a, on a part time basis so in the fall of 1990 I came up and worked for Dave Adelsheim oh. and I worked I did two harvests for him I did the 90 and the 91 harvest but in 1989 the gr days which are also down in the um valley asked me to come out and help them so i started consulting and so i ended up being a consultant on top of um uh, helping donna and doing the harvest at adelsheim and uh then i ended up i i consulted for ashland vineyard gr days and i helped la garza
0: and now at adelsheim what were you doing there
1: I was just a cellar rat,
0: uh-huh.
1: yeah, he had a winemaker, and I was just there as a cellar rat, and so I worked the 90 and the 91 Harvest for him, huh. while I was still doing all this other stuff. That's a lot of commuting. <laughs> In, uh, okay, so that's 90, 91, uh, 92, I was full-time then at... Well, kind of full. I was still consulting, but I was I was like totally at more or less at um, Lagarza. So I was doing GR days, making the wine at Lagarza, and did I make the wine at '80? Not no, because she started in '90. I think uh, this is challenging. <laughs> well, you know, 22 years and and. Uh, so, anyway, 1991, I was at Adelsheim. 92, we fired, is when we really fired up the, the, the winery. And I did that vintage... The winery... The Lagarza Cellars. Garza. Cellars. Uh-huh. Okay, and then... Uh, 92... 93... Um, in the meantime, my partner left me, and... Um, uh, after 13 years, and, uh, and so we had a partnership agreement on our property that we owned down there outside of Roseburg, but I needed, you know, the, and so I was going to take that property, and so, you know, I needed to find the money to, to kind I of, got, I got a loan from a friend of mine, and then I needed the, I needed more work. So I put in. So
0: you could buy out the, uh, the Yeah, store. well, I already
1: had, you know, but I needed more work to, you know, pay off my, pay off my friend, and so I put an ad in the Wine Country Classified, and um, Dr. Don Olson, that owns Tory Moore, uh, responded to my ad. Huh. So in nineteen uh, in nineteen ninety three, I ended up up here. And I was working for him, which I thought was just going to be, you know, I I was kind of doing a consulting thing for him. And once I kind of finished up, because he he made he sent his wine to Eastern his grapes to Eastern Oregon and made made had the winemaker at Seven Hills make that wine. But he needs The winemaker
0: need, at that, that, um, Seven Hills is the vineyard and um, um, the winery is. Um
1: no, it was Seven Hills Winery. I'm pretty sure. Really, I Don't
0: thought think. Seven Hills was just a vineyard. That um, shoot, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <window>. Oh shoot! <laughs> <laughs> <It's> okay, <contagious. laughs> yeah, okay. Um, uh, I'll think of it tonight. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So, but
1: you can kind of collect all that. And um, so, anyway, I he he had kind of a falling out with the winemaker, and the winemaker wanted all of Don's wine out of the cellar. So my job, my job was to go to Eastern Oregon, assess the wine, and bring it all the way back over to the west side. So I, <laughs> so I uh, ended up hiring a tanker truck <laughs> and found uh, at Orchard Heights, I rented some tank space there, and I tankered all this wine, Back, back to uh, here, now and
0: this and is, is fruit from not yet yeah, from, from here, here, here that he
1: shipped it, all the it, way, all the way over there
0: because he needed a production facility
1: which he could have found right here in the valley. I mean, he was in the heart of the Dundee Hills, yeah. you know. But for what? Oh, he well, the reason was that Don was working in the Tri City area and he wanted to be closer to the wine, so. And that's why I did it. So anyway, I uh, tanker, I hire, I hire a flatbed for all the barrels because we had barrels and then we had all this wine and tankered all this wine back
0: to the west side. And now, now, do you count that as part of your stainless... Uh, <laughs> Well I
1: wasn't you know that was it was marginal stuff. I told him he wanted to put a label on it and I said I didn't think he should, but I was just figured I was only there consulting for a few months who cares and um, so he uh, um, I, we find the space at Orchard Heights and um uh
0: Yeah, McCruchie Bob McCruchie Bob Dr. Bob. Dr.
1: Bob was working at Orchard Heights, and so he wants to... Don Olson wants a bottle, so we hire Signature Mobile Bottling, and... um, uh, And... And... We, we put the whole thing together, and we bottled like in the in the pouring rain, I mean, it's just like in, incredibly pouring rain, so it was
0: outdoors,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. so we had to because we had to be on the road and then have the all the lines coming, and uh it was crazy. <laughs> uh, the only forklift I could get was just gigantic, <laughs> and uh. And it, it, prior to that, though, somebody at Orchard Heights had a tank full of SO2 water and had pumped SO2 water into one of the tanks, I think it was Chardonnay, of, uh, of Don Olson's, right? And so I had to call the OLCC, and we, they had to come and we had to dump all this wine down the drain, too. It was just quite the, quite the, quite the story. So we get it all in the bottle and everything and, uh, and I'm thinking I'm history now. I'm, I'm going to leave and Donaldson says to me start, start a winery for me. And I go okay. You know I need the money. <laughs> <laughs> so in, that was in July and uh, um, on a miraculous level I find this building for him in In McMinnville, in the wine ghetto in McMinnville, Uh and it's right down the street from David Lett, right by the tracks there.
0: So it'd be um, away from that main drag, right, uh, right, further, uh, further away from that. Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, I find a building for him in Donaldson. He he walks into the building and he looks at it. He goes and he looks at the. the owner of the building and he goes we'll take it just like just like that. just like that <laughs> <laughs> like okay
0: was well, it a turkey but, uh, or operation or what was no it, uh,
1: it used to, it was an old uh, old garage basically like you know, for cars like, yeah yeah cars, yeah cars, yeah, like yeah, turkey, yeah, yeah 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 and it was cleaned up and painted and it was you know it was it was okay yeah. so <laughs> uh, Okay, a lot of this you can't write about, but you understand that, right? <laughs> so I'm standing uh, <laughs> where I. Right, well, we have to get a bonded, and mm-hmm. you know, and and you. Back then, it was much easier. You could just actually verbally get a bond.
0: Verbally, or, uh, yeah, you and could. And 25 bucks or something like that. Yeah,
1: it was it was easy. So um, we we got the bond. The day the first fruit was supposed to come in the door, though, <laughs> but prior to that, <laughs> I, I'm standing there and I find him a press. I get him a press. I get a destemmer. I get all the equipment. I got tanks, and I do all this in like three months. I put 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 this stuff together, pump. But in the meantime, um, this huge, gigantic, uh, you like moving van shows up and I'm, I'm looking at the owner of the building and we're looking at each other like what's going on here and Don had like moved his practice and he, and he moved in all this medical equipment and files <laughs> in the one side of this building he's like that's why he took it huh so I had this one room that I worked in which was fine because I only did like 1200 cases but I, I did it by myself in the in, in the meantime, I was still making wine at Lagarza, so I, so I would <clears throat> I would get up in punch Town about <laughs> two or three o'clock in the morning, and then drive to Roseburg. Gosh, and, and that,
0: that's what like four and a half hours, five three hours, three, hours. three hours, yeah,
1: three hours, and so then I would drive to Roseburg in time for the first fruit to arrive there. <laughs> And I had... There were people there that, you know, could punch down and do it. But, um, you know, so I'd test everything and go through the whole thing, fall asleep sitting on a bucket. And uh, and generally in the, you know, by the the early afternoon, I was headed back up north to take care of the Tory Moore stuff.
0: To punch down again up here. Yes.
1: Yeah. And uh, I remember Laurel Hood coming in and... Loyal well, Hood now. wellhood She's been around she's been around for a long time. She has a she has a shop wine shop on the coast and uh-huh. she used to work with David Ladd a lot and everything. Uh-huh. And she would come down and visit me and go, You you're crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I'm not doing that anymore.
1: <laughs> and so um, so um, I do about twelve hundred cases and um, but but I didn't have anybody working with me, and so I ended up like doing the marketing and blah blah blah, and wow. I did that for through 1991.
0: So I did the. See, so you started. Uh, oh wait a minute,
1: 19, excuse me, 1993, and then 1994. Um, I pretty much my girlfriends, all my girlfriends came up and helped me at one point, just because they knew that I needed you know, I needed the help, and so, in the spring of 1995, I'm delivering wine into Portland, and... uh,
0: Tory Moore wine.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I go into Oregon Wines on Broadway, and the owner at the time, I looked at her, and I go you know, I really need some help. Do you know anybody? Because I I didn't really know anybody up here, you know. And uh, she says, I have the perfect person for you. And that's my business partner now, Jim Anderson. Ah. So we've been working together since 1995.
0: Uh Yeah. Is it S-O-N or E-N? O-N. 1995? Yeah. And so he helped with... um, uh, like you were doing the Tory Moore. Yeah, thing. so
1: it was him and I him and I in nineteen ninety five, which you know is a horrendously difficult vintage, but you know, we did it and he stuck around and um, uh <clears throat> uh, we've been working together ever since. So we worked through all these different vintages at Tory Moore and then in February of two thousand,
0: you know, we had
1: we had a basically a falling out with dr rolson and we and we both left uh-huh. and uh yeah, and yeah, then we started you know? that, that was two, that was february of 2000
0: 2000
1: and, and he had worked here in the tasting room um <clears throat> for the autumn Winds people years prior in, to that
0: in here yes
1: it was called autumn wind
0: oh okay, okay. yeah, yeah.
1: And um, the Autumn Wind people called him up and said, we understand that you love Torrey Moore. Do you want to buy the place? Uh-huh. And so on March 1st, we were sitting in the living room with these people, and uh, we had a, an, an, uh, an investor that was willing to back us, and um, we um, signed on the dotted line on July 23rd of 2000 and moved in and did our first harvest.
0: Wow. From a state fruit, or were you pulling from other fruit? Where were you, where were you getting the fruit? No. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't ask.
1: <laughs> All the vineyards that we had worked with at Torrey Moore said that they wanted to go wherever I went. Oh, wow. So, but we don't want you know, to go there because it's a, kind of a sore subject. The whole vineyard crew came with me. Every, everybody came with me.
0: Well, sure, and that makes sense because I mean you're the one that was out there right. working, right? Exactly, exactly. But yeah.
1: you know, I was scared of Dr. Olson because you know, yeah, I mean, the whole the whole place leaves. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but but Dr. Olson and I have. I mean, he's never he's always been okay with it. Because he liked me.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and, um, and it's just the circumstances of us not agreeing on certain ways around the business. And um, I got to say that working at Tory Moore was like a great learning experience as far as the industry and, and whatnot.
0: Well, it, it sounds like you're, if you're doing everything, I mean, what a great way to get educated. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're doing the marketing, exactly. and you're doing the delivery, right. and you're doing all those kinds of things. I mean, right.
1: Actually, also, in 19, in 1988, um, I, served on <laughs> I served on the Oregon Wine Advisory Board and the Oregon Wine Growers Association, uh-huh. and I did that for a number of years, too. So I was, I was on those boards, and I was on, you know, with the old guard, more or less.
0: One of the questions I wanted to ask you is, like, When you were starting out in the wine industry here, and especially it's interesting, your perspective is like you were commuting both north and south, what was the wine industry culture like? Like when you started, when you started with with Richard and thinking about, you know, the the guys that were working around you, and then when you were doing this crazy commuting, you know, back and forth, you know, I was like, what was the, the Oregon wine culture like then?
1: It was raw, you know. I mean, people well, what were... Is, what does that mean? Well, it was... Uh, people were learning about farming. Uh, who knew in the, in the wine, global wine world, or even in the U.S., where Oregon was even at? And so, in back in those days, you, you couldn't give away a bottle of Pinot Noir in California. They're like, Oregon makes wine? And so, it was, for everybody, it was... Um, we used to have on the Oregon Wine Advisory Board, um, we'd go and we'd do these uh, dog and pony shows, and all the wine winemakers would get together, and we'd pour for the public like in San Francisco and try and do educational things to um, get people familiar with the fact that we... Uh, we
0: existed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could show them on the map.
1: Right, yeah. Uh, yeah, we did all this PR, all this material that we could give to people, and um, it was a struggle. It was a real struggle. It, it was even a, way? Well, uh, just selling the wine, you know. Uh, people... It just wasn't easy as easy as it is now. That's for sure. I mean, we had to educate people on who we were, and people were always kind of cautious about it—restaurant um, tours and wine retailers because they have to make the sell. But who's heard of it? Yeah. And so, and, and so that's more work for them if you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it was—it was—it was challenging. It was challenging to sell the wine.
0: What about like local restaurants, you know, like in Portland and, um, and in your case, like Roseburg?
1: Um, there were more, it was more supportive. It was more the out-of-state areas that that were. And then at that time, uh, especially here in, in Portland, there weren't that many places to sell. Yeah. And, and you know, this is in the 80s and uh, there just weren't that many places. and. It was uh, it was the 1990 vintage that really put Oregon on the map.
0: What was it about that vintage? It was
1: it was warm and lush. It was uh, one of the warmer vintages that anybody had seen since 82, uh, uh, maybe, and so it, and, and everybody made. Really great it was kind of a no-brainer everybody made really really great wine uh-huh. and um, uh, so it so it kind of propelled the industry into being recognized because we get, people got a lot of good scores and um, and also we are understanding how to farm better because uh-huh. that was a huge learning process up here and uh, trying to figure out what you're doing you know on your soils and how much crop load you should have and all those different things played into making better wine
0: because people like I mean, you only have one chance a year <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah what what um, you know like when you look at the wine industry now you know how is it different similar to like when you started out here oh it's
1: completely different name
0: 22 ways
1: (laughs) (laughs) well uh I just walked into a winery and started working and and that doesn't happen as easily now Uh, people expect uh, some kind of background education to be able to come in and do those kinds of things your, the competition for fruit is, is greater than mm. than it was then. But even back in 1993, the the growers that were here were very cautious about a brand new winery. And now it's not so much like that. Um, they people are willing to uh, you know more than willing to sell you the fruit. When back then it was like, who are you? Sure. You know, can you really pay for the fruit? And that was a legitimate, um, it was a legitimate call. And um, uh, for instance, in 1994, I had one of my best friend's uncle owned a small four-acre vineyard on the bottom of Brayman Orchard Road right next to David Lett. And so I called, I called up Ward Eason and went in, and, and his vineyard was a complete mess. It was covered, it had blackberries, the vines were laying on the ground. And so to get the fruit, I said, we'll come in and farm it for you. And we'll just cut a deal. And so we, and I still have the vineyard. So I've had that vineyard since
0: 1994. Oh, nice.
1: And um, so we went in and facelifted the vineyard for him. And to, just to be able to, to get the fruit because yeah. so many people were just unwilling to sell to a brand new winery that nobody knew about.
0: Yeah. Because it uh, oh, was. I mean, sca- Tori? No, 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 that was Tori Moore. Moore. Oh, okay.
1: That was at Tori Moore okay. in, in 1993 and 4. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And so now it's, it's just completely different. And there are lots and lots of wineries. I mean, I can't believe in the last three and four years how many new brands there are everywhere and uh,
0: so how does that change I mean um, it seems like there's a lot of dynamics that are changing um, you know when I think well let's see stepping back just a little bit Well, no I'll keep going there um, it's like we've got bigger you know Erath selling to St. Michelle uh-huh. um, we've got you know big money coming in and establishing vineyards and right, things like that. Right,
1: you're talking about the Purse people, exactly. probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, how, how is that changing? From what you can see, is, is that changing? Like the dynamics or anything? Uh, sure. Anything you know, it's way? changing the
1: feel. Uh, you know, there was more of a homespun feel. Is you know, me and Doug Tunnell and 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 Ken Wright and like Steve Dorner, all all of that is is it's it changed has changed the. Kind of the feel of it's getting it's getting to be big. Uh It's big business now. And look at Domaine Serene, um, uh, uh, Willa Kenzie. You know, all all those. There, that's those are big. And but there's still the kind of small, more sort of homespun wine. And and also a lot. There, there are this, all these different waves of wine people. You know, there was Lett and Adel Simon, Ponzi and Erath. They were like they're the old guard, uh-huh. and then there came me and um, and Ken Wright and uh, Doug Tunnell and David Autry and um, Michael Stevenson. All these people were like the second wave, and now there is just. The third wave of the big stuff Uh coming in. And uh, it's, you know, it's the evolution of what's happening.
0: Yeah. And when you look out, like, say, 30 to 50 years, what what do you see, like, in in the Oregon wine landscape here?
1: I see a lot of wineries.
0: (laughs) More than now. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. And what do they look like?
1: They're going to be big. I mean, there are a lot big of people. Yeah, there's 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 a lot of big money sniffing around out here. Uh huh. Um, uh, you know, Mondavi's been a. I heard Mondavi bought bought several hundred acres, like west of Salem. That's just a, a rumor. Really? But yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. And you know, there's just. There's this big money coming up here because compared to Napa Valley or Russian River or whatever, this is a bargain still. Yeah, and um, and California can't make the qu- kind of quality Pinot Noir. Oh God, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make the the same. <sighs> so it sounds okay <laughs> since I already stuck my foot in my mouth it doesn't have the same quality structure as what we get because this is cool climate viticulture and it tends to be pretty warm down there and so the California people recognize that in terms of what Pinot Noir is all about and so they're going to come up yeah. and, and buy up property and, and start vineyards and um, you know it, um and the climate's changed really a lot. And so it's much hotter in California than it used to be because uh, older older vintages of, of Pinot Noir down there were still had, you know, they still had it were embraced by the fog and were a little bit cooler and you know, we've had lots of vintages up here that were pretty darn hot, like mm-hmm. for instance, two thousand three. And um this 2007 vintage is more back to the old days. I, mean, I was talking to Lynn Pennerash. I go, it's like the old days, you know, where I mean, we were bringing in fruit on October 24th. That's pretty late.
0: Yeah. And Compared to the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the last really super cool vintages, hi, boobs, um, were probably 96 and 97. 95, 96,
0: 97.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, like the 90, 94 was warm. 93 was more normal. So 93, 95, 96, and 97, and then 98 got pretty warm. Yeah. And and um, 99 was moderately, and 2000 was warm. I mean, from then on, it was you know we had these warm vintages. So, yeah. I mean, we, I remember when we would get 21 bricks. It was like, whoa, 21, 22 bricks. And, you know, I had 20, 28 bricks, 26 bricks coming in the door at in 2003. And, and there was no stopping it, yeah. you know, it, unless you needed to have the the sugars would shoot up, but the flavors were very latent in, in catching up. And so you just had to suffer and deal with the sugar.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. So. I guess in California they've even uh, developed ways to deal with, uh, with that, in their production. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that.
1: I've heard yeah. that. And same in Burgundy. I mean, Burgundy suffered from the same kind of cir- climatic circumstances that we have here. So. Yeah.
0: When you look back, I mean, you have like an incredibly interesting career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a, and a lot of tests. But when you look back on all that, it's like. Is there is there like one or two things that you would say? Oh, this was this really worked. but like this was really successful. Maybe something that you tried or something that you thought. Gosh, I'm not sure this is gonna work. Um, you know, in terms you of
1: know, the winemaking or
0: winemaking, in- uh, you know, any part of like that whole wine uh, thing. I might even might have been something out in the vineyard. Post high school. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Um.
1: Hmm. I think. Um. I think it's it's when I figured out that I actually had a style of wine because you know in your first start winemaking is very rudimentary. You're just following certain steps and things that you do. And it's sort of like the process of elimination of what you don't like.
0: Uh
1: And that is a whole lot based on your personal palate or whatever. And so I think it's when I really started to fine-tune what I was doing with the process of making the wine and having a lot of consistency and style from vintage to vintage, even given vintage variants, uh-huh. so that they're running through the wines. The consumer knows that I have a particular style. But that took a long time to get there. Yeah. And, um, like, for instance, in 2001, I uh, uh, decided to just buy one Cooper. So we're 100% Caduce barrels in the cellar.
0: Huh.
1: We're, we're the only ones in the U.S. to, to do that. And it was, it was like the light bulb finally went on because we'd have all these different coopers in the cellar, and the style of the wine in some of those barrels didn't match the style of the coopering. And we, uh, you know, always liked the Caduce barrels. And so I said, let's call Bone and talk to Paquito and see if we can't just buy 100% Caduce barrels. And so, you know, our program that's part of the fine tuning process in mm-hmm. the style and I think it's really important to match your style of winemaking to the barrel the barrel maker uh-huh. that and just other processes that are you know in the uh, you know in the vinification of the wine that I, <clears throat> I keep very consistent from year to year it's all spontaneous fermentations I don't inoculate for uh, uh the barrels I go to barrel clean um, uh, you know I don't change those things and so you can still have the vintage variants but you still have the style of the winemaking
0: you know I'm always kind of curious is because like the vintage especially this year was kind of an interesting year compared to the last you know few years you know and if you kind of want to keep like your style it's like, you know it's like it's like driving at night it seems like to me and, and you've got to kind of keep your headlights on where you're going. you know. So I'm kind of curious about your thought process because...
1: It's, it's all about flavor development. And so yeah, I wait... Talk about
0: that, starting from the vineyard. Yeah,
1: and, you know, the farming... Farming is more fine-tuned than it was when I first started, too. I mean... In terms of... Uh, when I, oh, in terms of what I what I... A whole lot that I didn't know when I first started. <laughs> And that i just talked to people like like David Adelsheim. I mean, when I worked at Adelsheim, it was a like really great education for me in making Pinot Noir in those two vintages. And it was... Um, I learned a lot there. And um, and gave me the confidence to really approach making Pinot... Because uh, I made Pinot Noir back in 88, but it was in this tank that was as big as this room, practically. And... <laughs> And it wasn't that good. And so going there gave me more, a finer understanding of, of how to make, make peanut. But I don't remember your question now.
0: Well, um, you're, you're, you know, like you're trying to make a consistent wine from vintage to vintage. Right. But yet, like each vintage offers you a whole array of different right. uh, variables. Sure. And especially this year is yeah. a good year to ask that question. Um, you know, so I'm kind of curious about what is it that kind of keeps you guided to where you want to go? I mean, what, what's your thought process? Well... Um, for, starting from the vineyard.
1: Yeah, starting from the vineyard, well, um, it's, uh, it's, for me it's all about flavor development. Okay. You can, you can buy sugar, you can add water, you can add tartaric acid, but you can't buy a bag of flavor. <laughs>
0: Walmart doesn't offer that yet. no
1: no there's not a bag of flavor out there and so for me I mean I just i I pick i i don't even test in here anymore I just go out and taste the grapes and there is a curve of flavor development and you can and it and it goes once it starts to go it goes really really fast and it um and that's my guide now that is not not to say that when it's it's pouring and I'm standing at the French doors at three o'clock in the morning, thinking about the hundred tons that I still have hanging out there, it's not that I don't have some anxiety about my decision making. Yeah. <laughs> but for this particular vintage, we had very th- uh, we had thick skins, and so it, so we didn't have problems with thick
0: skins because it, it was. Uh, warmer
1: than usual no no the 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 plants the the plants have a memory and the the previous vintage kind of dictates the next vintage and so um, um, so it was rather a drought it you know it was a little cooler and I mean warmer in 2006 and so that sort of dictated the fact that we we're going to have a little bit thicker skins for for um, for this vintage, and so I wasn't too worried about the fact that it was pouring on all my fruit. I didn't have any splitting. I came in still with like 24 plus bricks, uh-huh. and um, had good flavor. It. Um, I saw hardly any botrytis, and I know there were a lot of people out there, but I was spraying vigorously every 10 days. because For some reason back in May, I had this gut feeling that uh, it was it was going to be kind of like this, you know, huh. what it was, and so I just went for it. And <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, I I I work on a lot of instinct, and um, and I I try not to second guess that because I think sometimes you get yourself in trouble. You just do do what you think. You know, when you get the feeling, you get the thought, you just go for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, that's how I pretty much operated my whole life
0: <laughs> and then and then, like once you get the fruit in here, I mean, there's all kinds of variables too. it's like um the presses and it, it's, there's so many variables here. How do you you know like wind through all those variables
1: uh I mean, I've been working with equipment for so long it's yeah. I mean, both my presses broke down this year, and the very, at the very end we had one fermenter left, and we were g- going to load it, and it wouldn't rotate, so we couldn't bring the door up right. And the other press was already broke down, but I could manually rotate it, but it wouldn't press. So we got, I go get a bottle of champagne, and we're, we loaded the press and let it drip, and we drank bubbles. <laughs> I mean you can't get upset about stuff like that if you that's uh, one of the things that you have to be really really patient in this business Uh incredibly patient because you are throwing a lot of variables and if you know if something breaks down fix it if you know if the pump goes down just fix it don't don't, uh, you know don't have a big fit because and I tell people that who want to start in the business first I ask them because a lot of people call me and ask me questions, and sure. and I, and I one of the first things I ask is, you know, are you, are you married? Do you have a family? Yeah. How's the relationship? Because this is going to stress it out. Yeah. And people are always incredibly shocked when I when I uh, you know ask them, but it's true. And uh, notice I'm not married.
0: <laughs> well, and look at how many you know families have split. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah, lots, lots, and um, you know. And I also say to them, you know, how's your anger management? Because you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be hit with all these different variables, and sometimes it's, you know, it's not, it's not very easy. I mean, I got a million stories (laughs) (laughs) about stuff that's (laughs) broken down, or you know, a tractor going into a ravine, or. You know the running out of water and uh, you know just all kinds of
0: stuff. You mean like your well? Yeah, your, going yeah. Dry or something?
1: Yeah. No, it didn't go dry, but my underground holding tank we emptied that out one one day, and I, I'm up there looking at the tank, trying to figure out you know what it, the pump went down and so. But we were still using the water and so blah blah blah. So the pump's down, and I come back down here, and the whole crew is standing around the press and. Uh, and, and there's nothing in it, and I hear Jim Anderson, because I was standing at our, our water gauge, and I hear him say, go get green, and I walk over to the press, and there's a huge pool of hydraulic oil under <laughs> the press, and this is when we only had one press. <laughs> and you know, you just go, I just looked at whoever was standing there, and I said, go to town and get a bunch of hydraulic oil. And we'll just keep pouring keep it, pouring in, it in. just keep pouring it in until we're finished, because we only had a few fermenters left on too. And it's, you just have to—you can't let it get to you, you know. And stuff does. I mean, there, there sometimes uh, stuff happens that.
0: Does yeah. one thing kind of come to mind that was just a, a real, oh, yeah, real when, shoot
1: moment? Oh yeah, when the tractor was in the ravine.
0: When, when
1: was that? that was, uh, I think it was two two years ago. I think yeah. it was like two years ago, and, and it wasn't
0: muddy or anything. It was
1: well, he was he was had the flail on, and and there's a little wooded area, and there's a road there, and. My vineyard manager had told him to go and flail this for God knows what reason. And it was in April when it was soft, and he was, like, turning around and looking at the flail, and his front tire caught the, the side of the, the bank and pulled him down, hit the tree, broke the axle. Holy cow. And so the Helio comes down here, and he, he says, uh, Patricia... I said, yeah. He said, what? He said, it's the John Deere. And I said, oh, okay. You know, it's probably just stuck in the mud or something because it it's an old tractor. It didn't have four-wheel drive. And I go up there, and Ranulfo was driving, and the whole crew was standing on the bank. And I looked at the tractor, and I looked at him, and I said, are you okay? You know, because, I mean, he, he could have been killed. Yeah. And I find out later that his pant leg caught on, on the break. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, uh, and so I go, you okay? And I just screamed at him, which I never do. Everybody go home except for, for Enrique and for Helia. And they all, like, ran. <laughs> so this is on a Friday Friday afternoon, about it's like four o'clock, right? Oh, and I'm like, no. oh man. And I mean, it's down fifty feet into this into this ravine. So he
0: he was on that tractor. Oh, mm-hmm. Holy
1: cow! Oh yeah, I you know he's oh, a lucky cow. man. I mean, so. What what month is that? It was in April. In April. So it's it still was still wet, yeah, yeah, it was soft oh. and everything. Holy so crazy. I. Uh, oh my God! So I start calling all the neighbors to see if anybody's got a cat yeah. to, to pull it out of there, because I can't let the insurance company see because it was leaking and it was down near a creek, and you know, I I, I couldn't do that, and and so I'm coming I'm kind up of no luck, and uh, so I on Saturday morning I, I remembered this guy who did a bunch of track hoe work for me. And I call him up, and he just happens to be coming from Portland with his track hoe. Ooh. I mean,
0: a big, you A know, big track hoe. I mean, with a, a yeah,
1: big... yeah, yeah, with this giant, this giant track hoe. Uh-huh. And he goes, okay, you know, I'll, uh, I'll come. Yeah. And so he pulls up with his track hoe, and I go, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to take the fence down. And we get this track hoe in there, and he chains up this big 2040 John Deere to this bucket, and he lifts it up out of the ravine, and he looks at me and he goes, Where do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> and I go, To the barn, man, to the barn. So, so, uh, wow. Oh, yeah. That was probably my most, you know, I mean, other stuff has happened, lots of other stuff has happened, it always does, but that was probably the time that, that it got to me a lot, uh-huh. you know, because that guy could have been killed. Yeah. And, oh. oh, man. And, yeah. and then my vineyard manager, you know, I go, what the hell was he doing down there? There was no point for him to be down there. And so I had this big discussion, Ron Neuflo was never allowed to drive the tractor again. And I didn't fire him, uh-huh. you know. Um, uh, and uh, then, then I called up my tractor guy, and I, he comes over and he looks at it and he go, just goes, "Oh man," <laughs> 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 because it broke the axle and of course one of the tires was shattered and and the, um, you know, I mean it was a mess. Yeah. It was a big mess. And he. He's a great tractor guy, and he went to Medford, got a whole bunch of all the parts, and I had the tractor back up and running in two weeks.
0: Wow! And it was an older tractor. Yeah, an old That's John work. Deere
1: 2040. Yeah, and wow. huh. we still have it; it's still cranking cool. around.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, what, what? would you say? You know, it's like you've been in the vineyard and in the winemaking industry for for a while. Mm-hmm. Since high school <laughs> um, you know what has the vineyard you know taught you personally about life you know what kind of lessons have you learned about life
1: well you take care of the vineyard like you take care of your body you know it's like a living or it's a, it's it's like um, um, you got to feed it you you need to kind of nurture it along um, and you uh, you just you take care of it like you would take care of a child
0: and, and what does that mean i mean it, it, I have to, you don't have do you have kids no no so um tell me what that means like taking care of your child well
1: you know you 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 feed it you you know if there are problems out there you address them uh i i don't know it's it's like um you just make sure all the plants are healthy, and they have, you know, because it that's going to give you, first of all, good fruit. But it, um, you know, it's sort of, uh, uh, you know, it's a it's they're living organisms, and you got to take care of them.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, have there been any kind of lessons that, that you've learned, you know, about yourself, maybe? Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Maddie oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just
0: one example <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> um, uh, probably because it is such a consumptive business um, um, because it's you know it's a lifestyle it's not a job Uh and so uh i think take a little more time for myself i still have a cabin down in roseburg that i escaped to Ah. for to just to get away from here because i live here there the offices are in the basement of the house the vineyard crew's here and so it's a lot
0: yeah
1: wineries here somebody's always showing up you know um yeah, take more time for myself, I think. Uh-huh. And I just turned 52, so, you know, I'm feeling the pressure of that a little more. <laughs> I went to, I went, uh, last year I went to Panama for five weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. And I hadn't had a vacation for a couple of years, and so, but it was, the wines are in really good shape, and, and I have a good staff now, and so I, and Jim and I have worked together for so many years, so I don't have to worry so I so and I talked to him and he said sure go for it and so I, I left and went down there and yeah. and I had a friend with a sailboat and went sailing in the San Blas yeah
0: cool <laughs> and that was probably what like November December or something like that no it was, it was uh, March in March
1: mm-hmm. oh wow mm-hmm. huh. yeah.
0: yeah great I have to look at my list of questions to make sure that I've asked you everything that I need to ask you. On this, just a little bit. That um, I want to focus it. What does the winemaker bring to the bottle?
1: Personality. And what does that mean? <laughs> I think that um, you know you put so much of your personal effort and energy and kind of psyche into into the wines. I think you can when you taste other winemakers and you know them, you can taste a part of them in the wine that, um, you know, I think you bring a lot of your own soul
0: uh-huh.
1: into the wine.
0: And how does that, that come out to come to be?
1: Well, that's all about when we, it, you know, in relationship to style in uh-huh. understanding and finally developing style. Yeah. I think that that's where, where that all comes from because it's my decisions about, in my sense of perception of olfactory percep- perception of how I how I see the wines and so that be- that's a big huge part of me. So I think it's a lot your own personality that's in the wines. Yeah. At least for me, that I mean, that's a very kind of philosophical question. Because other people might disagree and say, no, it comes off the lab bench. Uh huh. <laughs> so, but that's what I see. Especially when I taste my, my colleagues' wines, you can tell, you know, that, like Etzel's wines, he has a very distinctive part of himself in, in the wines. Uh huh. And he's very passionate about his vineyard management, and that, that shows, I mean, so am I, but he, he's, he's, He's a little more eccentric about Elizabeth that uh-huh. way.
0: Like, what does he do that... that, uh, that he, he's
1: biodynamic over uh, there. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, he's burying weird stuff on mm-hmm. full moons and everything. And, <laughs> and,
0: and, and you can taste that, you say? Well, I can
1: taste that, you know, that kind of passion that he has. And, and um, like I said, it's very philosophical. Yeah, So.
0: yeah. Well, so is
1: winemaking. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I believe that you know some people say you can't ever filter Pinot Noir. Well, I think that fil- filtration is a tool, and you can make it's it's whatever it takes to make the wine better. Uh-huh. It's it's uh, um, you know so I do I do things differently than a lot of people do. Like. Well, like I will filter if I see the need to yeah. um, I uh, go to barrel clean because I believe that um, like a lot of people will go right from the press pan into barrel
0: mm-hmm. I go
1: from the press pan into settling vats and then after like 72 hours we'll barrel down and then we'll go in and taste the leaves because I believe that you know some of the leaves don't taste that good mm-hmm. so if you're going to sit on them in barrel you're going to affect the wine
0: yeah
1: and, uh, so, and sometimes if the leaves are really good, then we add them back into the barrel. So it's a lot of extra work.
0: Hmm, yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. What other questions should I ask you, you know, about, like, Oregon wine? Uh, you know, given that, like, the people that are going to read this are obviously Oregonians, but people from Ohio, Indiana, uh, from France... Um, you know, so they're curious about like what is it that makes Oregon wine different than, than Burgundy? You
1: know. Well, that's that's that is the soil. I mean, we have different soils than Burgundy, uh-huh. and and so you know, like here we have the marine sedimentary soil, and then we I have a lot of Dundee Hills properties that um, and that's volcanic soil, and I think that. Uh, you know, that certainly imparts the distinctiveness of what we're doing here.
0: Ah, the soil. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
0: What about, you know, like that? you've got sedimentary here, and then you've got... Volcanic. ...and volcanic um, mm-hmm. stuff, in the Dundee Hills. And, you know, it's like, tell me a little bit about, like, the differences from your palate. Uh, in the I think that the,
1: um, mm-hmm. the volcanic soils have a tendency to be very... Uh, Berry cherry, more fruit forward than what you're going to have in the marine soils where they're a little more mineral, a little bit earthier, tannin structures are a little bit different. Um, uh, I mean, those are two pretty fundamental differences in in the flavor components that you get out of each of the soil types. Uh And we just did a big tasting last night of volcanic and marines from the 06 vintage and um, you know, they were those those Dundee Hills. They're, they're, some of them are just fruit bombs, <laughs> you know. And um, but that is what makes it so distinctive. And these will te- have a tendency to just be have a little more earth. And the soil is very different; it's very talky. So you get that kind of element of t- a little bit of talc in the wines. And um, and we keep everything separate. We have like 15 different blocks here. All my vineyards are broken up into blocks. We keep all the blocks separate. Because that's another part of the fine-tuning is understanding your blocks and understanding maybe how to farm them differently, Uh even if they're right next Uh to each other. Uh And, um, uh, yeah, that um, kind of sums it up.
0: (laughs) One of the questions I have to ask, and it's like Chronicle wants me to do a book on women winemakers, so I have to ask, you know, it's like, you as a woman, and I know that you're not a man, so it's, it's hard, what, what, you know, can you conjecture, like, what you bring to winemaking that is different than, say, you know, some of the, 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 the male winemakers? Um,
1: I, we've had big discussions about that, and um, um, it's our, our uh, I think it goes into a maternal sense of, of nurturing that our sense of taste and smell and hearing and everything
0: is more sensitive or is
1: um you know i can't there's no way to kind of figure that out but i think women have a different kind of an approach to 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 the winemaking than a lot of men you see those t-shirts that say women taste better (laughs) <laughs> it's about it's about our olfactory sense of perception and and uh and it was it came a, it, one night at the dinner table and Jim was expounding on the fact of you know that I could smell something. Five miles away, and and we were talking about women's olfactory sense of perception, and how how what he thinks, and he's the one who brought it up, is that it's a little bit keener sometimes than men's. And uh-huh. um, and I raised my glass. I said, "Women taste better." And he, the light bulb went on, and he said, "It's a T-shirt." And I said, "Oh God, don't do this to me." <laughs> <laughs> it's catchy. <laughs> People love them. Yeah. I have never worn one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Too modest? <or laughs> Too many come-ons. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, What other questions should I ask you?
1: Uh, boy, uh, we've covered a lot of bases here.
0: I think that's probably... Well, if you
1: think of anything else, you can just give me a call. I appreciate
0: that. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.